scripture reading is from John chapter 14, verses 8 through 17. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you now say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be amongst us so that we would experience your truth and experience your words. Lord, the word has been read and you have been unleashed. Continue to do your work in us through the preaching of the word. May you be glorified, may you be honored, and may we be touched so that more and more we may become in the image of your son, Jesus Christ, and we would exalt his name for the rest of our lives. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the last night on earth for Jesus, and he decides to spend his last night on earth with his disciples, washing their feet, breaking bread with them, drinking wine. He's doing these, th these things with his disciples. And most importantly, he's telling them that he is about to leave, that he will no longer be with them. He is going to depart from them, and they should not worry. But the disciples won't accept it. They can't accept it. How could Jesus leave at this time? And if you think about it from the disciples' perspective, it seems kind of unfair. They left their jobs. They left their families. They all left it for the name of Jesus. They thought he was the Messiah. And if you remember, Jesus didn't say, just come with me for three years. He said, come with me forever. And so this was their impression, but yet here they were on this final night, and Jesus was telling them, I'm willingly going to give up my life. And so we can understand with the disciples that they would feel a sense of confusion, hurt, abandonment. Jesus, where are you going? We cannot do this without you. I thought you said you were going to be with us forever. We cannot do this without you. And so they fret. And in chapter 14, Jesus delivers these words to give them comfort. And it applies to us today because Jesus is not here with us today. And many of us have left our homes, left our families to follow Jesus, and he's not here. And we sometimes feel that confusion, that feeling lost, not knowing what to do. And my hope is to do what Jesus did, to give them comfort, to give you comfort knowing that Jesus is always with us, 
and that we should not fear because we do not see him, but we should give him the glory because of what he has done for us. So that is my hope, that the peace Jesus gives to his disciples, you guys would experience as well in chapter 14. So we start off with the disciples, verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. What is Philip saying here at this point? He understands that Jesus is not going to be there and Jesus has accumulated quite a following. His name is being known. People are talking about him. And Philip needs some kind of assurance that all this work is not for, for nothing. So he says, give us God. Give us the glory of God. If you just give us this type of power, surely we will continue the work. Surely we will have the confidence to continue what we've started here. But Jesus laments and says, Philip, how long have you been with me? Don't you know that I am God? What does he say in verse 10? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And for most of us, when we hear Jesus say that, we say, yeah, Philip, duh. But we have to understand, this is a difficult teaching, and we should forgive the disciples for not really understanding what Jesus was saying. We grew up in the church, so we just automatically assume that Jesus is God and how that relationship works. But if you really think about it, it's quite an awesome doctrine that Jesus is teaching here. And we should sympathize, sympathize with the disciples that they don't get it immediately. Think about it. Jesus is saying what? First, he says, the Father is in me. Okay, they can probably take that. God is in Jesus. We'll accept it, maybe. But the second thing he says is, and I am in God. What does that mean? Jesus, you said you're the Messiah, but you're here standing in front of us. What does it mean that you are in the Creator? For them, they had no idea what that meant, and they had no understanding, and they were saying, what are you talking about, Jesus? And at this point, I just want to reflect, we underestimate how normal Jesus was. Oftentimes, we lift him up on a pedestal, we say all these great things to him, but if, about him, but if we truly read the scriptures, we find that Jesus was really, really normal. He did not stand out amidst the crowd. He wasn't the tallest. He wasn't the most popular. He was a normal person. And how do we know this? Mark chapter 6, Jesus returns to his hometown and starts beginning to preach about the kingdom of God. And says, if you believe, your sins will be forgiven. And the crowd says, isn't that Jesus? Hey, Jesus, what's up? Come down. What are you doing preaching and talking up there? They said, isn't that the son of Mary and Joseph? Oh, that's James's brother. I don't know what he's doing. And what does it say in Mark 6? No one believed. He went out there and he preached the good news and no one believed in him. Um, yeah, it was a failed evangelistic attempt by Jesus himself. And it's because he was that normal. So when Jesus says, I am in the Father. The, God, the disciples are not sure what to make of it. I mean, they've spent three years with him. They've seen him eat. They've seen him nap. They've seen him be happy, get angry. But here Jesus is now telling them that he is in the Father. And Jesus quickly understands that the disciples won't get this right away. And he's not going to try to explain the Trinity to him. Because that's what's happening. Jesus is beginning to unveil 
the Trinity and the Godhead, but he doesn't want to go into these deep concepts. All he does is, look, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus understands that they may not get the huge metaphysical aspect of Jesus being in the Father and God being in Jesus. All he's saying is, look at my works. And we should look at his works. He has done things that no other human being has done. He's healed people by just speaking. He's caused the lepers to be fully healed from their disease. He's caused the lame to walk. He's done great miraculous things. And not only did he do miracles, he did things that were foretold in the Old Testament. Surely he is who he says he is that he is God, that he is the Messiah. But this is not where Jesus wants to dwell. He doesn't want to just say that I am in God and God is in me. He continues to move on and says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So why is Jesus equating himself to God? Because he's saying the works that I do, it shows my intimacy with God. And then he goes down to say, the works that you guys are going to do is the work that I did. And he's trying to build that bridge. He says, don't be afraid. I am going to be with you till the end. Do not be afraid that I am dying. I am going to be with you till the very end. And then he throws in this amazing statement and says this, verse 12 still. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Essentially, Jesus says, my disciples, you guys will actually do greater works than me. And this is supposed to be provocative. And if you're like me, your mind goes off into different places and you think, does he mean we're going to levitate? Are we going to be able to transport? Jesus, what do you mean that you're gonna, we're going to do greater works than you? Jesus, you seem to be doing some pretty good stuff. So the question comes, are our works going to be qualitatively better than Jesus's, or are they going to be quantitatively? Meaning this, are we just going to be, because Jesus only ministered in Israel, is it that his disciples are going to spread this message throughout the world, or are we actually going to do better works than Jesus? And it's an interesting question. And before I go and answer that, we have to define what works are. When Jesus talks about works, what type of works is he talking about? And the Apostle John is pretty consistent throughout the whole book about what, how he defines works. And it comes uh, most clearly in John chapter 6, verse 28. This is what he says. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So what is the work of God? Believing in Jesus. Now, Jesus did a pretty good job in making people believe in him, right? So it's still hard to comprehend. How are we going to do a better job than Jesus? Because Jesus, you're the great evangelist. You know yourself better than anybody. You are the incarnate second person of the trinity and when you speak people listen how is it that a group of bumbling disciples and people who are sinners how are they going to evangelize more than you 
And then we have to remember when Jesus is talking. Jesus is talking before his death. He's talking before the resurrection, and he's actually talking before his ascension. All those three things must take place in order for his disciple to do the great works. If we go quickly back to verse 12, it says this, And greater works than these will he do. And he says, because. He gives the rationale of why his disciples will do greater works than him. He says, because I am going to the Father. Now, what is significant about Jesus going to the Father? The ascension is a very important doctrine because Jesus' ascension to the Father begins a new era for the whole world. When Jesus goes to the Father, he sends down a helper. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, it says helper there, but there's so many words. Um, people can't agree how to translate that word. It can mean paraclete. It can mean counselor, intercessor. It has all these words, uh, definitions of this word. And all it is pointed to is the Holy Spirit. Jesus will send the Holy Spirit to usher in a new age in which these works will be far greater than the works that he is doing. Remember Jesus' ministry. Even when he called people to faith, the most that would happen is the blind could see. Even the great miracle of Lazarus, he would raise Lazarus from the dead. But what happened to Lazarus eventually a couple of years later? He died. So even with Jesus' words, it is not until the Holy Spirit is unleashed unto the world do people go from the realm of darkness into the realm of light. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He is sent here to earth to ensure that God's disciples, that Jesus' disciples, would be forever with Jesus in all eternity. And how does he do that? He dwells inside each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit dwells in all of you. All who call Jesus Lord and Savior, the Spirit dwells in you. Now, some people will say, I've been a Christian my whole life. I don't feel the Holy Spirit. How do I know that the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of me? And that's a valid question. And here's what Jesus says. How do you know that the Holy Spirit is inside of you? You believe that Jesus is the Christ. You believe that Jesus is Lord. The only reason you believe in that significant truth is because the Spirit dwells inside of you. Now, I know most people will say, I'm not satisfied with that explanation. And I feel that tension, right? Because I want to see more. I want to hear God's voice. I want to see the big miracles happen. I want to do, I want to see God's glory. We come full circle and we're much like Philip who has Jesus right in front of him, and yet he's asking for something more. But Jesus says, no, you have to understand, the only reason you believe that I am Lord and Savior is because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And people are like, no, but I'm Christian because I grew up Christian. And I'm not satisfied with that. Personally, I'm not satisfied with that. Either. There are many things my parents believe in that I think 
I just don't believe in it. If they raised, my parents came up to me and says, Jeffrey, we love you. And I said, I love you too. And he says, Santa Claus is real. I would say, no, he's not. And there's other things that he believes. My dad is convinced that he was born of this upper class in Korean society. And he tells us every night that he was born on this upper class. I don't believe him. And I love him. And there's many things my parents tell me that they're passionate about, but they don't believe it. I believe in Jesus because the Holy Spirit dwells inside me. It is nothing short of a miracle when our children and our grandchildren become Christian. We would like to think that our parenting or that our family name is the one that ensured the faith, but that's not true. It's simply that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of them. And that is why they believe. Now, many people believe when they go out and evangelize that they have to become smarter or they have to do all these things. And this is where, again, I have to reemphasize. It's the Holy Spirit that resides in you that gives you a chance at evangelism. Most people, when they think about evangelism, they think about a great apologetics person. For many of us in New York, we think about Tim Keller. But let me tell you, all of us cannot be Tim Keller. He's a gift to the church. He's great. He's amazing. But if the church has to wait for all of us to become Tim Kellers, no one would become Christian. The only way people become Christian is when we share the good news of Jesus Christ with them and we pray to Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit works in their lives. The message we preach to people is radical. We believe in a man from the Middle East 2,000 years ago who was born and raised, and he's part of a triu, a trinity. Three gods, one, three persons, one God. We don't know how it works, but it exists, and you should believe in him, because if you believe in him, then you'll go to a realm that we've never seen before. And people are like, let me just read one more history book. That's not the case. Jesus says, if you want people to believe, call upon my name. Now, should you study? Yes, absolutely. You should do all those things. But the power of conversion, the power to make the gospel convincing is by the Holy Spirit. He is the person that was given to us. And that is why we do greater works than Jesus before he died and resurrected. Because when we tell people about the gospel and then through a miraculous event, they believe in it. This person has been ushered from the realm of darkness into the realm of light. That is not our knowledge. That is not, that is not us convincing them or putting them in some logical chokehold. It is, us, it is us believing that the Holy Spirit actually works and is still working today. And that is why we give him all the glory. But that is also why Jesus said, you will do greater works than I, because I have gone to the Father. Today we sing a lot about the Holy Spirit, and today is Pentecost Sunday. And as Presbyterians, we often forget to think about the Holy Spirit to our detriment. But here I hope that we can be reminded that the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to our faith. And that for you, for, for, for those of you who may feel that the Holy Spirit is not in you, I can tell you this, he has not left. We have simply forgotten that he resides in us. And the hope for us is that we would pray and call upon Jesus' name. And that the Holy Spirit would be activated in us. So that we could see Jesus more clearly. 
and do the great works Jesus has called all of us to do, and that is to spread his name to the whole world and give him all the glory. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for us as a church. Starting with me, we often rely on different types of power, whether it's money or intellect, to bring forth the gospel. Yet here in chapter 14, you remind us that it is the triune God who does the work. May we learn to trust in you. May each and every one of us unleash the spirit that is in us so that we could do the greater works that you have called us to do. And that is to go forth into all the world and proclaim your name so that everyone may call upon the name of the Lord and believe that you have come and died for your people so that we could be with you forever. Father, give us this faith, give us this vision, and give us this hope so that we continue to do the great works of the gospel. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.